from the Texas Young Lawyers Association. We cut through the noise and discuss practical tips and challenges facing new attorneys in Texas and the United States. In this episode, I'm your host, Jenny Smith. I'm an attorney at Cobbing Council in Austin and currently serve as the Access to Justice Liaison for the Texas Young Lawyers Association. We're recording from Houston today, and I'm talking with Chris Ritter. Chris is the director of the Texas Lawyers Assistance Program, or TLAP. Chris is going to give us some guidance on wellness for a practicing attorney, including compassion fatigue and resources available at TLAP. Chris, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Tell our listeners what TLAP is and what your role is there. Well, thank you so much. Uh, the Texas Lawyers Assistance Program is a program that's part of the State Bar of Texas that operates in a confidential way separately. Uh, we don't communicate back to the State Bar but we're a program that was originally designed to help in the 80s uh, attorneys that struggled with alcohol problems. But over time, it's evolved into a really general program for wellness to help attorneys to manage their practices of struggling with balancing their lives. But we deal with substance abuse, but we have focused more honestly uh, uh, on the issues of mental health and, and about 60% of our calls now have to do with anxiety and depression and those issues. So we help with resources. I am the director of this program, but I've been there um, a little while. I've only been the director recently, but I've, I've been there for a few years. And um, my role there, as all of our team's role, is to connect with attorneys to the resources that they need. And what is the career path that led you to want to work at TLAP and help uh, attorneys in this capacity? Well, I practiced in personal injury law as a defense attorney for about 12 years, and then I switched to the plaintiff side. And I struggled throughout my practice with issues really around burnout and around, you know, stress relief. And I, I ended up being one of what is very normal, you know, 21% of attorneys struggle with trying to medicate their um, stress. And so I was a drinker and I was drinking more and more each year. And so at some point at April 1st of 2010, I quit drinking. And the, the career path has been since that day, after having gone to a therapist that kind of led me to see the problem that I was having trying to use alcohol to be my solution for all my issues with my career, um, I ran into some really great suggestions, did some service work, got involved in starting some, pro some meetings around the community I lived in, some support group meetings, and got really involved in the recovery, per the recovery mission. And just it just happened that uh, I started a program for a master's degree in clinical mental health. And the timing just worked out that there became an opportunity at the Texas Lord's Assistance Program. And so it was like my calling, and I felt like it was such a big deal as far as a purpose in my life. So I came, having been in recovery and with some mental health uh, education, and came into the program, and that's really how I got involved. Well, and it sounds like, I guess, when, when people call TLAP, then 
they're actually reaching people that have dealt with some of the same issues that they're calling about? Absolutely. Everyone at TLAP has uh, dealt with issues that are common for lawyers. Uh, we have three, we have three uh, on our team that, that deal with attorneys. One is a mental health professional, but she has worked uh, and she's familiar with uh, dealing with attorneys. Uh, Erica Grigg is another attorney that is at our program, and she has had years of experience with, with these issues and having uh, practiced, and we are really well equipped to relate to attorneys. I've been an attorney in criminal law. I've been a, uh, most of my career has been civil, but I've been on both sides. I've been in a law firm and we really understand some of the really work-life balance struggles. And, and so our, you know, our team really is, is geared toward connecting to attorneys, helping them understand how normal some of these struggles are. And I'm happy to, you know, kind of talk about those issues, but uh, as far as our program goes, we are a group of people that uh, we can be called anonymously and we can share how we did it or how others have shown us how to do things and, and to make basically make people that are struggling as they practice have an easier time. You talked about issues common to attorneys and kind of discussing some of that. Let's jump right into that. What are, what are some of the issues that you, you and your team at TLAP see that are pretty common among attorneys? Absolutely. You know, when I when I was going through some of the things that I suffered from, the anxiety and some depression and drinking too much, I thought I was pretty, I, I didn't know how common that pro, those problems are. But 46% of attorneys responded in a survey, you know, 13,000 responses, 46% indicated that depression had been a significant part of their practice. And just to let you know, you know, the numbers for substance abuse are double what the normal average, the normal rates are, but for young attorneys, 30 and under, uh, 32% of attorneys, 30 and under, have issues with substances as a means of stress. So the big issue that I think all attorneys face, young and old, is having some healthy coping mechanisms for stress and really knowing about how to be healthy. And so that's one of our big goals at TLAP is to share uh, strategies and really, you know, lawyers are pretty picky. They don't want to just hear a bunch of positive talk. They want to know some specific things that can be done that they can try to help with what they're struggling with. What are some of those specific healthy coping mechanisms that, you, that lawyers, young and more seasoned, can, can employ? I have been so surprised at some of the... Um, coping mechanisms. I'm just, I'll just mention three that I think are the leading three that are the easiest things that lawyers could do to make the most impact. The first one has to do with stress, which is, you know, when we get to work every morning, we run into the office and check our voicemail and our email. Historically for me, that was what ruined my day because I had, you know, several attorneys that didn't want to share bad news with me and they would leave messages with, you know, rejecting my offer or telling me I couldn't have uh, a continuance even though I was getting married or whatever the ridiculous thing was. And it would just ruin my day. And so I'd get stressed out in the morning 
and I would just stay kind of grumpy the rest of the day as I dealt with the different things that hit me. And um, one of the things that really shocked me to read about and that I think lawyers need to know about is once you trigger your stress, once you activate what, what is the sympathetic nervous system, the fight-or-flight nervous system, until you reactivate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is reactivate your relaxed nervous state, uh, um, you are going to be in chronic stress. And so one of the things that is everyone can do it. Lawyers, I've seen, actually, I thought people were very weird that did it when I saw people breathing in the back of a courtroom. I thought, is something okay with this person? But breathing exercises are an instant light switch for stress. So if you can do, there was a study that showed if you do 10 minutes or more of breathing and it's meditation, but breathing, focusing on the breath um, for six weeks, 10 minutes or more, it reduced people in the 90th percentile for anxiety. By the way, attorneys are in the 96th percentile. And if you're in the 90th percentile in six weeks, those, I'm sorry, in two and a half weeks, the 90th percentile reduced down to the 57th percentile. So that's one thing is learn how to, to uh, activate your parasympathetic nervous system. And breathing exercises is one way, but you know, a lot of healthy people do the other ways. Walking is one, uh, you know, jogging, swimming, playing a musical instrument. There's so many ways to activate your parasympathetic nervous system to just get out of what stressed you out. And then you stay in that system until the next thing hits. But the nice thing about the breathing exercise, you can do it anywhere. And, um, but if you're in your office where you can, getting out and walk around the block, um, there's so many others. There's um, art, creating art. There's so many things we can do. But uh, the second thing I wanted to mention is that lawyers are programmed to find problems in law school. We start out, you know, we start out in law school looking for, uh, you know, developing our skills at problem spotting. That's how we get the best grades if we can find the most things wrong. And that bleeds over into our personal life. While I was in law school, by the time I was a third-year law student, I had become the person in my family that nobody wanted to talk to anymore because I was shooting down everybody's positive ideas and I was cross-examining people at Thanksgiving and all that. So one of the things that I came across in this effort in wellness is that gratitude journaling is a very easy thing to do. And it makes a huge impact on happiness, and especially for lawyers, because we're wired, we have to find problems. But if we get in the habit of seeing that, before you know it, everybody is going to just see problems everywhere. And if you do a gratitude journal, which is thinking of one, uh, three things each day that you're glad to have in your life, and this can be done on the way to work, but by doing that, you can, uh, by doing three things a day in your life, thinking of three things each day that you're glad to have in your life as you drive to work. In one study, it showed a 25% increase in happiness. In another study, it showed over six months uh, more happiness, uh, improvement in happiness than winning the lottery. Of course, that's gimmicky because apparently if you win the lottery, you get really depressed in a couple of months. But there's some really solid research on the impact of gratitude practice. And so gratitude journaling, which is, is that. 
And then the, the, the last thing I think that is counterintuitive because we're working so much as attorneys, but what incorporates so much wellness, like so many aspects, connecting and purposefulness and all these things is service work. And lots of attorneys do pro bono service work. And it kind of irritates them because they feel like they are already giving so much of their lives to practicing law that when you do it and, you know, a lot of times it backfires, you help somebody and they, they complain or whatever. But what if, if it's possible for people to get connected to direct helping, there's a study that showed uh, a look at 30,000 people with high stress down to normal stress jobs. And for those with high stress jobs, there was a 43% higher risk of death if you had a high stress job over 10 years. But if you did service work, which is uh, twice or more per month of helping people directly in need, uh, soup kitchens, Meals on Wheels, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, those kind of opportunities, it completely offset, even though people had really high stress jobs, it completely offset that difference in rate of death. And so I would highly encourage if, if someone could get involved with an organization that they care about, it gives purpose to their life, but it also connects them to good people. It connect, it gives them a break from the legal world. It does so many things. But in my life, one of the reasons I'm at TLAP now, I accidentally fell into some service work at Meals on Wheels at the same time that I was getting everything healthy in my life. And I walked in the first day I was going to deliver meals. And the lady that I was there to see, I, I had just been ruminating, you know, as we do when we make mistakes. And I'd messed up a deposition. And I walked in just thinking about all the questions I should have asked during this deposition. And I handed this woman her meal and she started tearing up, kind of like she was about to cry and said, and I, and I just said, hey, how are you doing? Uh, nice to see you today. What's going on? And she's like, oh, thank you so much for taking the time to ask me. You're the first person I've spoken to since last week. The guy yesterday just threw the food down and walked out. And I just needed to hear somebody's voice. And I just forgot all about my problems. It was totally, like, reminded me that we're human. Practicing law is such a privilege. We get stuck in this lofty world, you know. And to me, that was such a big deal to find a way to reconnect with people and to kind of get out of my high-level problems and remember how lucky we are. And so I would just encourage anyone that is struggling maybe with stress relief, happiness, to try some of those three things. And there's a lot more if anybody's interested on, on our website, tlaphelps.org. There's a lot more strategies than that. But I think those are three that are really uh, big, uh, really life-changing strategies if, if you try them. Well, and it sounds to me like a lot of these strategies really are sort of taking back and taking some self-care steps you know, the breathing exercises, the, the doing some art, doing some exercise, things like that. Looks like a lot of that self-care and then just connection to others. So just in terms of just broadly describing what these activities are, it sounds like those things are really kind of where the rubber meets the road for, for sort of things that these young lawyers can do to, to help themselves. Absolutely. And one of the things that I feel like is another I wouldn't call it necessarily a strategy, but an important thing to just be mindful of 
is that young lawyers often, you know, the model of undergrad in law school is if you get really extreme with your life, you're rewarded. You get good grades, you do all this, but long term, you can't live that way. And so one of the hardest things as a young lawyer to figure out is balance and boundaries. And I just want to say everyone has the intention of doing all this stuff, this good, nice stuff to help, you know, go to the gym and all these other things. But we always, we're trying to do such a good job. We give away all of our time. And at the end of the week, we, you know, at the end of a month, we look back and have done nothing for ourselves. And so I think another really important thing early on is to try not just to think about doing these things, but to put them on the calendar at least three times a week, have something on your calendar. And it could be three different things, but if you could do three things a week um, for self-care, it's going to be life-changing. Little little incremental things can make a huge difference. And just for our listeners, I think you you actually mean like putting it on your calendar just like you would a hearing or uh, a business development lunch or something like that. I mean, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. If I mean, and I think most people, after just a few months of practicing, notice where did all our time? You know, they're they're living. They're sh- ashamed that they spent so much time on different things because they're trying to do the best they can for their client. But if you if you'll put it if you don't put it on there, your calendar will fill up. And so if you can just stick it on in Outlook, and you know, one of the things that I've kind of joked about is don't we deserve 4% of our life? That's one hour. One hour a day is 4%. And I don't know anybody that gives themselves one hour a day of self-care. Period. Three times a week is like 1%. So try to, you know, sometimes shame can be used in a good way to shame ourselves into taking (laughs) care of ourselves. But I really feel like, you know, three times a week minimum of doing something for ourselves is the only, and we will be better to our clients. We'll do a better job, more productive. I always used to feel guilty about taking a two-hour lunch here and there, but I always was so much more productive in the next couple of hours. And I think that's something people should think about. Well, I know as a young lawyer, one of the things I was told by um, a partner I worked for was, you know, he reminded me, he saw how, you know, the hours I was putting in, and he reminded me that, our careers are a marathon and not a sprint. And obviously you run at a different speed when you know you've got 100 yards than you do if you've got a mile or two or more, right? So, um, so I mean, do you want to comment on that too, that, that this is sort of a long run even though we might bill per hours per year and things like that? I think that's such a good point. The model, that's why I think that the model that got us here fails is that we, we got to law school on a lot of sprints and we got through law school sprinting some but it was it took a toll on us because it was three years and and i thought once i get through law school i can kind of move into the reasonable world and things are going to be easier and not quite as intense but the reality is once i was a year or two into practice i realized you know what it never goes away and i can't do this forever and so many attorneys especially in their first few years are like, I messed up my life. I shouldn't in the, in the real, it's not black and white. There's an in-between, which is to, you know, figure out a path where you don't have to give everything away to your career and work all the time and all that. And so if you think of it as a marathon, which it really is, 
then you can then feel less guilty about taking the time for some self-care, putting it on your calendar, um, you know, doing some things that other than, and you know, the other thing is the crisis mentality. For years, I was like, well, if I get to the point where um, I just get these things done, then I'll start some healthy stuff. And it never gets to that point. And so I think that by doing things like putting things on the calendar or setting an appointment to see a therapist or a lot of things, therapists can be a great help to, to manage some of these things, give suggestions, give some strategies. But I just feel like, you know, as much as we tell our, our clients that they're a fool not to rely on experts or that they're, they shouldn't represent themselves and all of these kind of things, we should be that way about ourselves. We don't, we don't have expertise in health. We should rely on people that know about that to tell us what to do and to, and to not be afraid to kind of get some guidance about that. One thing we were just talking about, um, you, you mentioned sort of having the attitude of, you know, running this sprint and then realizing I can't do this forever. Um, and, and that kind of, I'm thinking of compassion fatigue, burnout and mm -hmm. type, type of thing. Um, can you talk a little bit about what compassion fatigue and what burnout is? When we do something, well, when we practice law, one of the things that's unique is that we really do tell people, hey, come to me, I'll take care of your problems. And we befriend our clients and we care about them. And when we see people, whether it's probate, personal injury, criminal law, family law, when we see them lose a loved one or, or lose their children in a custody battle, or even if you're doing a transactional situation and you find one of your clients is suicidal. There's all kinds of things that we experience in the relationship with our clients. And compassion fatigue is really when we experience and, and see the trauma and experience it ourselves directly a lot of times in court when a judge gets onto us or when we, we, we fail on a motion that we expected not to and we disappoint clients and at some point, we, we kind of decide as a coping mechanism to disconnect from our feelings as a protective way to, you know, be professional and disconnect from all that. And so then what happens is we start storing up all these negative experiences and not processing them. And you've seen the prosecutors that joke around about death penalty cases or, or uh, family law attorneys that joke around about all kinds of things that are really sensitive issues, but they use humor. And that's actually kind of a healthy coping mechanism to have humor. But the, the numbness, the lack of empathy, or the disconnection from the kind-hearted people we were before we got kind of burned out, uh, that's what most people mean when they talk about compassion fatigue. And it involves things like secondary trauma, which is when you see... For example, when I was practicing, I saw pictures of, of, of a person that had committed suicide by, uh, in a jail, and it just it stuck with me. Like, this is such an awful event. The same thing when you represent a client that's been paralyzed, and you're sitting there, and you're just devastated for them because you care about that person, and you just feel for them. At some point, if we don't fill back up and do some things to, to refill our 
positivity and all of that, we just become numb. And honestly, one of the biggest dangers of, of burnout is that we can, we can become paralyzed to not do the work for our clients that we care about. And it starts kind of a cycle of shame. So you get paralyzed from all this burnout and you can't open a file because it's too you know, stressful. And then by not doing what you need to do, you build this guilt. And at some point, a lot of attorneys face, you know, most attorneys that are younger, they can, fear can drive them to do the work of fear of failure. But at some point, the compassion fatigue or the burnout can cause you to just lose your fear. And then all of a sudden, you're in real trouble. And actually, let's talk about potential real trouble. What, what are our ethical obligations as lawyers to sort of maintain our, our wellness? I mean, you know, why are we having this conversation about lawyers needing to maintain their health, right? Um, so what are, what are the ethical obligations that lawyers have uh, to maintain their mental health? Great question. And it really, I mean, most attorneys would, would guess this because of our training with what, um, you know, what is negligence and all of those kind of things. But the, the rules require us to maintain our moral and physical fitness and character so that we can practice law and be, um, you know, fit to practice. And, and by that, if there's an impairment, there's actually 8.03 requires that um, if, an, if an attorney is aware of, a, of another attorney that's impaired, um, that they have to, that, that the impairment is such that they can't uh, reasonably do what they should be able to do to practice law, that they're supposed to report that, report that person to the bar. Thankfully, um, nationally really, but Texas has adopted um, the alternative to, to contact our program if there's ever someone that for themselves, they're worried about their fitness or their impairment or another attorney, they can contact us and meet their duty to report under 8.03 by, by contacting TLAP. And we don't tell the discipline anything. We just reach out to help the person in need. And so it's very important. And if attorneys don't um, take care of themselves and don't stay fit to practice, it's obvious that their clients are, are not having someone that's really zealous about their representation. They're not going to get the results needed. Mistakes are going to be made. Malpractice claims are going to be filed. Reports to discipline, that's where most of those grievances come from, is, is the attorney becomes often, I, I would guess most often, depressed and just doesn't do anything, and then the clients get really upset and eventually file a complaint. And when, as, as a young attorney, when is it that I should call TLAP, whether it's for me or I'm concerned about someone else? When, when is that decision to make the call? What am I looking for? I would really like to kind of express, you know, something. I've always thought it was when it was crisis. You know, I would like to share, we would love it to be when the thought comes, I would be best to improve my life. Um, as preventative as possible, because when you wait till there's a crisis, uh, when you get devastated by things, a lot of times it's much harder to address it. And so we would say the time to call our program is when you notice there's anything that you would like to improve in your happiness and your practice, 
we have the strategies and we would love it, our program to be more on the preventative end so that people don't have to get to the rock bottom before they get help. It's, it's easier. And what signs am I looking for in colleagues if I needed to call on behalf of a colleague? Okay, and with that, you know, most of the signs with mental health around when you should be concerned about a friend uh, have to do with changes in behavior. And so if you see a colleague that normally is so happy and they seem deflated, they've gained weight, and, and by the way, all of these things can happen without there being a need report, but when you see enough of these factors where you wonder, I would encourage, if you see somebody that looks miserable, that says something like, what does it matter anymore? I'm, I don't know what, why I'm even here. What, you know, comments that really kind of throw a red flag up to you. If you're ever in doubt or wondering, that's the time to call us because we're not going to make you give us the information about the person, but we'll have a healthy discussion with you to, know, to let you know whether it's worth, you know, us reaching out to try to help someone or not. But we, we are really familiar with, we have a therapist on staff with these issues. So if you, if you have someone that you're worried about, I would say if you're worried about someone, call us. And if you're wondering if you need anything, that's also a, a time to call us because if in doubt, call us. If there's an issue, if you ever wonder, is this a time we should call T-Lab? It probably is past the time to call T-Lab, you know? And so... That said, I really do think that most most attorneys think that our program is meant for people that really are in crisis or hit rock bottom. And I think some of our best results have been when people are just kind of not happy and we can prevent them from having to suffer for what has been when, you know, for a lot of us that got to that point and then ignored it can turn into years of suffering. Well, and just so our listeners also have that information, what is all the contact information for TLAP if a listener wants to reach out to you guys? Yeah, well, we are at TLAPHelps.org, and all of our information, like materials, are there. And we're also uh, around the clock. We answer, we, we, if we can't answer directly, we try to. But we have, we have an on-call phone 24-7. So 1-800-343-TLAP is our number. And that's 1-800-343-8527. And, and one of us is always carrying that phone. We have it right here right now. And so uh, we can, you can call us. We're, we're there. Uh, three of us are there during the day. And one of us has the phone constantly. And so um, another thing you can reach at TLAPHelps.org is topical websites. We have one on depression, one on anxiety, uh, and different other struggles, substance abuse, and articles, and other things, and videos. And so there's a lot of resources there. And and what kind of resources, if, if I'm making the call to get help from TLAP or, or someone's calling on behalf of a colleague, what kind of resources are available at TLAP to help uh, lawyers? We have... Attorneys, one of the big mistakes attorneys make is trying to like figure out where they should go for their own care. So one of our most valuable things that we can do for attorneys that are struggling, and, and honestly, anybody they care about if, if they're struggling, call us and we can be like Yelp. We can tell them the, lawyer, the 
if a person has a family member or they're suffering with grief, we can we can tell them a good therapist in their community that lawyers have recommended to us that have worked with those issues or that we know personally. We know a lot of uh, mental health professionals that we've met and worked with and we can recommend. And that'll save a lot of time and a lot of effort for a lot of people to get the help they need directly. The other thing we connect people to is peer support and group support. And peer support is where a person, for example, that may have anxiety in Dallas, calls us and has struggled, and they say, hey, I would love, we, we'd say, hey, by the way, we have volunteers in Dallas that have struggled with the same issue that would love to be a support for you if you'd like their number. And they say, yeah, I would like their number. We don't share any information with those volunteers, but we give their number to the person in need, and that person can call. And, and research shows having someone, a mentor or someone that you can call when you're having a bad day that's been through what you've been through can make a huge difference. And so for us to connect people to that in their community is a big deal. And then the group support there are groups around Texas, Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers and other groups that meet for support that we can just provide the schedule. There's a call-in uh, meeting every Friday at noon that people can uh, call into. But uh, studies also show that having group support really impacts uh, attorneys knowing that they're normal, that these struggles are normal, to see how other people deal with it it's life-changing, and so we really encourage people when they're ready. We're not going to pressure people to go when they're kind of insecure about being known or something like that, but it really makes a difference. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention, which is the financial piece. Uh, so many attorneys struggle, especially young lawyers, if they've lost a job or if they're self-employed, with funding to get the therapy or the treatment that they need. We have a Sharon Crowley Trust that's independent of us, but we administer it, which would allow law students or lawyers to get um, up to $3,000 for counseling, $8,000 for inpatient treatment, and a lot of other things in between that we can, we can get them funding to get the care that they need. And, you know, frankly, six to eight sessions is, is usually all that is needed to get someone out of depression back to normal. And so this is adequate, and then $8,000 for residential treatment. Uh, we can we get break. some some of the best treatment centers in Texas will work with us to make that $8,000 go either all the way or a long way toward that treatment. So we have some really good resources. That's an, that sounds like an amazing resource, and for some of our um, uh, listeners as well, are people able to donate to the trust? Absolutely. In fact. Um, Sheeran, it's spelled, I'm saying it, not how it's spelled, but it's S-H-E-E-R-A-N, Crowley, C-R-O-W-L-E-Y.org, has all the information about the trust and giving, or if you're in need, you can, you can read about the criteria for that. That's great. Um, we can edit out this part. I, I feel like that was a good conversation. Are there other... Yeah other things you want to talk about before I kind of close it out? Any? You know, I really think we covered it. I think we did too. Okay. Anything else? To... All right. Okay. No, that was, I was, I was like, gosh, I think we covered almost everything. 
Maybe one final, let me do one final question okay. and I'll close it out. Um, so if I'm a young lawyer listening and I'm just starting my career, what do I, what do, I do to make sure I start, start my practice off on the right foot to protect my mental health? Put yourself first when it comes to your health. Keep, keep, start now making, uh, you know, with the habits that you need to stay with a balanced life. Realize this is a marathon, like you said earlier, and start now with some self-care habits and learn how to say no. Learn how to not. Learn how to know um, how to have four percent of your life. You know, do some of those things. Be mindful of these issues. Don't be surprised if you struggle. Don't shame yourself and hide it. Learn to, to connect to other people and talk about it. And find some people you can trust. And um, if you get stuck. Don't let pride get in the way of reaching out to our program or to someone to get some guidance. I think that's terrific advice. And Chris, thank you for your time today. And thank you all for listening to the Young Gunners from the Texas Young Lawyers Association. If you like our show and want to check out other episodes, they're available on our website, tyla.org, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a topic you want to hear about, email us at tyla at texasbar.com or send us a tweet at at text young lawyers using the hashtag young gunners. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We hope to see you back here for another episode.